Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, by the time of supper, supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will, un- you will know. You will never wash my feet, ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, does not need to wash everything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. That is why he said, you are not all clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. This is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should, that you should do just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen. But the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread and has raised his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I assure you, whoever receives anyone I send, receives me. And the one who receives me, receives him who sent me. When he'd gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him, in himself and will and will glorify him at once children i am with you a little while longer you will look for me and just as i told the jews where i am going you cannot come so now i tell you i give you a new command love one another just as i have loved you you must also love one another by this All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Second reading tonight is from 1 John chapter 2, 3 to 11. That's on page 119. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him, by keeping his commands. 
The one who says, I have come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light, but there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, thanks, Paul and Jess. It'd be great if you can keep that passage open, 1 John. I'm just going to pray for us as we start in God's word again tonight. Sorry, I haven't met you before. I'm Dan. It's nice to be here. Please pray with me. Our God, we want to thank you once again for your desire to have fellowship with us. Uh, we could not have that uh, in and of ourselves, and yet you've made a way possible through your son, through his blood shed on the cross. We thank you for that, and we thank you for your love. Uh, please, we pray that this, uh, in this time now you'd help us by your word and your spirit um, to help us know you better, help us to see you and so see ourselves and our world more clearly. Amen. Uh, do you think it's fair to say that a lot of people these days really like the idea of realness? I, I know that's not good English, but you know what I mean? This, uh, we like what is real and authentic and genuine. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so I, got a, I borrowed a friend's car on, uh, Paul Dale's car actually, on Friday. Um, doesn't know about it, that's okay. And um, I turned it on and it was playing Triple M, which is interesting. But anyway... Um, <laughs> I used to listen to Triple M, and um, it brought back a lot of memories. And one of the memories was a song um, by the Goo Goo Dolls called Iris. Does anyone remember it? It's a good song. And one of the, uh, the verses stuck in my memory, because it relates to tonight, it goes like this. And you can't fight the tears that ain't coming, or the moment of truth in the lies. Well, everything feels like the movies. Yeah, you bleed just to know you're alive. And at the end of the chorus, it says, I just want you to know who I am, who I actually am. It's this kind of thirst for reality. Life feels like the movies. I want, I want to get my hands on what's real, what's authentically life or something. You know, we're that kind of culture. Where we want these experiences stripped of all pretense and pretending, and we want reality. Genuine friendships, you know, authentic business partners. Real fruit juice, whatever it is, you know, we want realness. Because so much of the time, let's face it, we just deal with appearances. We don't know what's actually underneath. We deal with what people say with their lips, but we don't really always know what's reality underneath. Because in our society these days, we've kind of disconnected those things a bit, haven't we? Where someone might say something with their lips, but it might not have any connection to reality. So, and we know that's normal, right? So you're watching the television commercial and it says, uh, we value our customers. I mean, you know that's not true. They value their customers' money. But we're okay with that. We know there's a disconnect between words and reality. 
how would we know that they really actually valued their customers? Well, actions speak louder than words, don't they? It would be if they actually really helped you. Actions speak louder than words. Or maybe, maybe you could almost say actions are realer than words or more authentic. Or I, I don't know, something along those lines. Friends, I say all this by way of asking the question, do you desire a real, authentic fellowship with God? Do you want to have like a real, actual Christian life? Well, if so, it's got to be more than words. Do you want to know for sure that you're living out fellowship with Jesus? Well, let me say, saying all the right things doesn't cut it. Chapter 2, verse 3, what does he say? This is how we are sure that we've come to know him. Or literally, this is how we know we know him. By keeping his commands. It's basically the point tonight. Real fellowship is seen in obedient love. That's the basic point in verse 3, and the rest of the passage just kind of goes on and unpacks that idea and sort of fleshes it out. Um, But before we go on and and unpack that idea, we just need to look backwards quickly at where we've come from, uh, to know where we are. So you remember last week we talked about how um, our fellowship with God is rooted in the reality of Jesus, the man, the historical man, Jesus. That's where we are. Um, And there's great confidence in that. But also we've got to be real with God and ourselves about our sin and about the fact that he's a wonderful saviour. And there's great liberation and comfort in that. We have a wonderful saviour. But when we get to tonight, the question is, is he your saviour? How do you know that you're actually part of what he's doing? Like really, actually. See, when I talk to people at at church, I I find people looking in two different directions to answer that question. Some people look towards feelings, some towards knowledge. Where would you naturally look? So some people say, I know I know God because I feel his presence. Others would say, I'm sure that I know Jesus because I know all the right stuff and I agree with it. But then John says, this is how you can be sure that you know him, by keeping his commands. Real fellowship with God is seen in obedient love. Well, like I said before, verse 3 lays it out straight, and then the rest of the passage goes and unpacks that idea. Uh, We're going to look at it in three little bits. I don't know if you noticed, uh, as Jess was reading it, that there's uh, three times John says, the one who says. Verse 4, the one who says. Verse 6, verse 9. We're just going to use that repeated phrase to break up the passage tonight. So we're starting with verse 4 and 5. Real fellowship is seen as God's love is perfected in us. Uh, Look at verse 4 with me. The one who says, I have come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. You've met someone like that before? 
They say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I know God. You look at their life and their deeds deny the truth. This is the kind of Christian who the world hates, the, the hypocritical Christian, right? Uh, and, and John says that they're walking a lie. They've disconnected the words from the reality. But then there's the flip side, verse 5. Look at that with me. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we're in him. This is like a little, a little nugget of truth that's going to be, uh, we're going to come back to in chapter 4. Uh, it's a seed that sort of comes to full flower there. But what John's uh, trying to say is that as we keep God's commands, um, that's God's love doing what it was always meant to do. You see, God's love's awesome, right? Um, we sang about it before. Love so amazing, so divine. Um, and we love to be bowled over by God's love, don't we? And just revel in it. How good is God? But it's not meant to stop there. God's love's not meant to stop here. It's meant to be passed on. It's, it's past the parcel. You know what, like um, two-year-old birthday parties where the kid just doesn't pass it on? Ah. You know, they hold on to it. That's not kind of how the game works. You're meant to enjoy it and pass it on. Uh, there's the grown-up version of this. Remember the economic stimulus plan? You were given like 400 bucks to buy a flat-screen TV? Don't hold on to it. Pass it on. You know? That's how it works. That's, that's the love here. God's love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit as we come to know sins forgiven, fellowship with the living God. But then it's meant to keep going. It's meant to be perfected. It's meant to be completed. Those words are the same in the original language, perfected and completed. The love is meant to be completed by becoming works of loving obedience. The love is meant to be passed on. So this is how we know we're in him when his love is being completed, perfected in us, in good works, in command-keeping, if you will. And so I've got to ask you, how's your command-keeping going? You're at church here, that's great. Um, We all said the creed before, that's great. You said it with your, your lips, great. You sang songs, that's great. Okay, now... What are your deeds saying? What, what, how is your command keeping? What is it saying about what your lips are saying? Like when you're at work or at home, when no one else is watching, do your deeds say the same things that your lips do? Because that's what counts. You know when... Um, when it comes to keeping commands, I find it a bit hard to get excited. Am I alone there? You know, for me, it's kind of similar to um, paying your car registration. You know, you, you, you kind of got to do it, but it's not all that pleasant, and you try to get away as cheaply as you can, basically. I think we think that way subconsciously because we have this, this wrong view of God's commands. We think it's all, no, no, don't do that. Never do this. And don't even think about doing that thing. But do you see how for John, it's, it's so much more positive. Keeping his commands is about God's love being perfected in us. I, I think that's something I can get excited about. 
that as I keep his commands, God's love is being perfected, completed in me and through me. That's pretty cool. I, um, I love the Simpsons. Um, any, any Simpsons fans? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. All men. That's all right. That's to be expected. Uh, I remember once when um, Bart asks Homer, what religion are you, Homer? Um, and he says, you know the one with all the well-meaning rules that don't work out in reality? Christianity. Um, I think that's a pretty common view, but you know, it's a view that it's all about kind of keeping your nose clean because God's a goody two-shoes. John's view is so far from that. His command-keeping is not negative, it's, it's positive. It's about his love being perfected in us. It's about, well, as John goes on to say, it's about walking just as Jesus walks. That, that's the next section. That's what we're going to look at next. Verses 6 to 8. Real fellowship is seen as we walk in Jesus' light. Would you look at verse 6 with me? The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Notice it's not a suggestion. The one who remains in him could walk as Jesus walked, if he liked. Now, this should word is quite a strong should. It's kind of like an obligation. And so I say to you, do you say that you remain in Jesus? Do you say that you're a Christian? You really ought to walk as Jesus walked. I love the way John's quite balanced here. You know, he, he says to the kind of the right-wing moralist who just says, um, it's all about doing the right thing. He says, no, it's about the perfection of love, buddy. But then to the kind of the left-wing liberalist who goes, yeah, it's all about love. Do whatever you want. John says, no, no, no. It's about walking just as Jesus walked. This is kind of obligation on us as, as Christians. If, he's, if the life of Jesus is in us, we ought to walk just as Jesus walked. And that's kind of underlined in verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command. This is an old command you've had from the beginning. This is, you've always known this, that you ought to walk just as Jesus walked. The old command is the message you've heard. Nothing new. That makes me pause for a second. Was, was that the message you heard from the beginning? Like it says here, the message you heard from the beginning, Christians, was that you ought to walk just as Jesus walked. Is that the message you heard right at the beginning? Just think back a little bit. When you became a Christian, what was the message? Because for me, I'm thinking it wasn't quite like that. In fact, I think the message was something more like, Jesus has done everything. You don't need to do anything. It's all grace. There's no good works uh, if anyone says anything about good works, then they're probably teaching you the wrong thing. In fact, I'm getting a bit concerned about John's talk of all this obligation. So what does he mean? Well, you know, I think he's kind of just saying verse 6 again in different words. I think actually what he's getting at is something that a toddler could tell you. It's just that if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably thought too much and gotten confused, like me. But I think what he's trying to say is, the message you heard from the very beginning was Jesus. That's chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. 
And that's right, isn't it? Like when you think about it, what, what really grabbed you right back at the beginning, it was, it was Jesus, right? Am I right? And when, when you see Jesus and you see who he is and you see that he is the light, he is, he is true goodness, he is true humanity, you, there's not sort of a logical step then to saying, I ought to walk like him. It's automatic. You come to see Jesus and you go, well, I, that's how you walk. That's life. You come to meet Jesus, you ought to walk like him. So, brothers and sisters, do you know Jesus? Well, that's going to be seen in the way that you walk. That's the old command. Oh, but hang on, brain flip, it's the new command. Did you get that? Verse 7, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command. Verse 8, yet I am writing you a new command. Gotcha. Weird. Uh, my hive group on Wednesday was saying, um, I hope John doesn't talk like he writes. You, know, you can imagine him at a dinner party. Pass me the salt, but I mean the pepper. The salt is the pepper. You know, you, know you have come to love me if you pass me the mustard. What are you, what are you, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? Well, what I think he's getting at, he's saying, he's saying this. It's not a new command. This command to walk like Jesus walked, it's not a new command for you guys. You've had it from the beginning. But it is a new command in the history of the world. Like something new is happening here. Brothers and sisters, we live in a dark world, a world of evil and ignorance, a world that doesn't love God and doesn't love each other. We might be fooled by that. We might think that's not true as we live in our comfortable little North Shore existence. But all we have to do is look at the newspapers, right? We live in a world where slavery continues, where millions of people are starving, and I'm sitting at home having seconds of dessert. We live in a world where we're destroying our planet rather than cramping our comfortable little lifestyles. We're removing any talk of God from the public sphere. What does that say about our attitude towards God? We're keeping the vulnerable away from our shores. We don't want to share our country with them. We're legalizing abortion, keeping our hearts closed to the needy. We're shooting planes out of the sky. We live in a dark world. And yet when Jesus stepped into this world, a light dawned. The light of love, the light of truth, the light of goodness. You saw it in his life as he found people who were suffering. And he helped them, he healed them. He found people who were on the margins of society who'd been rejected. He'd experienced injustice, and he restored them. He found people who were far from God's blessing and brought them near. You saw in Jesus the dawn of love. And as people way back then began to follow Jesus, walk as he walked, in fellowship with God, in love for each other, as they started following him, that light shone ever brighter. Let me give you a few examples. So way back then in the Roman world, uh, children were routinely left out to die of exposure, babies, uh, particularly if they were the wrong sex. I'll let you assume which sex that is. Um, But then Jesus comes onto the scene, and how does he treat kids? 
He says, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And so his people walked as Jesus walked. They started orphanages and they wandered the streets, finding these kids who'd been left out to die, and they took them and cared for them. I heard of a book this week called When Children Became People, The Birth of Childhood in Early Christianity. That is light shining in the darkness. In the Roman world, there was no place for compassion. It was kind of an ancient survival of the fittest, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. You, you, you fall behind, you get left behind. Into that world steps Jesus. He had time for, the, for the, the lowly and the marginalized. He sought out the people on the fringes of society and included them. And then his people walked as Jesus walked. They started refuges for lepers. They started social justice initiatives. Uh, they started the modern-day hospitals, light shining in the darkness. Jesus stepped into the Roman world where uh, they were basically ran on power, money, and cruelty. Sound familiar? Jesus stepped into that world and he didn't, he didn't march to that drumbeat. He didn't do what the institutions told him to do. He didn't care what they thought. He did what was right. He sought more than just money and self-acclaim. And so his people in workplaces all around Sydney do more than seeking money and self-acclaim. They treat their, uh, their other workers, their, their colleagues, uh, with, uh, as actual people and not just opportunities for themselves to get ahead. They are lights in the darkness. And the list goes on and on and on. Little deeds of kindness and generosity at the hands of Jesus' people, like little beacons of light in this dark world. And John says, the darkness is, is uh, already uh, being turned away and the light is already shining. Because this is true in Jesus and in us. In Jesus, the light of love is dawning. And as you and I walk just as Jesus walked, we're part of that. Like I said, I can't get that excited about don't do this command, but I can get excited about that. As I walk as Jesus walked, keeping his commands, I'm part of the dawn of love in this world. Do you believe that? Do you, do you actually believe that? Like that as you go out this door tonight and into your week, into a world of darkness... It's got a lovely facade, but it's dark. It's getting darker as well. But as you go out into it, you are the dawn of love. As you walk as Jesus walked. Do you believe that? It's pretty exciting. Okay, so if that's happening, where do you see this, this dawn of, of love most clearly? Well, John goes on to say in his next section, well, you see it right here. You see it in the church. Let's read this last section, verses 9 to 11. Real fellowship is seen as we love each other. Verses 9 to 11. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going 
because the darkness has blinded his eyes. After um, all we've seen tonight, does that verse 9 make sense? That, that if you're failing to love, then you really can't be sure that you know God. There's no evidence that, that Jesus is alive in you, that his love's being perfected through you. There's no evidence of that. So you shouldn't be sure that you know God if you don't love the brothers and sisters. In fact, he uses that word hate, doesn't he? That's a, that's a strong word, isn't it? Hate. My hive group during the week was saying it sounds like a poison word, hate. But just to fill it out a little bit, I think the Bible's got a kind of both a positive and a negative way of thinking about hating. So, for example, uh, you find someone who's asking for your help, you could chuck a rock at their head. Don't, but you could. Um, that's kind of active hate. But you could also just ignore them. It's kind of passive hate. We have people at church that you just have never been concerned for. You, you, you don't care about them. You ignore their needs. This is passive hate. But that's not us, is it? That's not God's people. We're the people who've been brought into the light, who, who actually are having his love perfected in us. We love as he loved. And we love practically. We don't just love with words, do we? I love you guys. We don't just love with our hearts, in these warm fuzzies, feel the love. In chapter 3, John says, Little children, we must not love with words or speech, but with truth and action. Love does good to others. It seeks out ways to, to do good to others. What's that going to look like here? What's the dawn of love going to look like at 6.45? I can tell you it'll definitely look like forgiveness. If we're going to love like Jesus loved, we've just been talking last week all about forgiveness. Jesus forgives. If we're going to love like him, we're going to forgive each other. I don't know if you need to do that. Okay, what else is it going to look like at 6.45? I don't know. I don't know. Love kind of does lots of things. Love's kind of free. But I can give you some ideas of what the needs are. There's people here who are lonely. Where does love meet that? There's people here who live alone, and when they get sick, it's very hard to just do the basic things of life. Where does love meet that? There's people here who have a very bad view of themselves and they need someone to speak truth to them and put an arm around their shoulder. There's people here who are unemployed and need, you know, would just really love a phone call. There's people who are struggling to connect with God and really need someone just to read the Bible with them and pray with them. Walking like Jesus walked and loving the brothers and sisters it means putting yourself out. It's not easy. These things I've mentioned, they're not all easy. But let me say this in conclusion. We must not be Christians just in word. We must not be Christians just in our words. I mean, do you want to have a real, authentic fellowship with God? Do you want that? Do you want to know for sure your fellowship with Jesus, that you actually 
have his life in you? Do you want to actually be part of the dawning of love, of having his love perfected in you and through you? I hope so. Well, let me say this. It can't just stop at the level of words. The words and the actions, the words and reality must match. Because real fellowship with God is seen in obedient love. I just want to pause for a second and give you guys just a chance to think, okay, that's the case. What does that mean this week? What does that mean this week? Take a minute to think about it, and then I'm just going to lead us in prayer. Father, we offer up ourselves and our ideas of how we might love to you. God, you have loved us so richly. We want to be conduits, pipes of love. Please cause your love to be perfected in us. That we might love others the way you've loved us. May our church be known as a, as a place of love. Father, I do pray for those tonight who are thinking, yeah, you know, I, I really have just been a Christian in word. Please assure them of your forgiveness and of your desire to see them start again and start afresh. And thank you that you, that's always a possibility. Please strengthen us each by your spirit, the spirit of Jesus, that he really would be alive in us, strengthening us to live each day, every moment, as Jesus did, in love for you, Lord, and in love for each other. Amen.